The Trinity Center for Spiritual Living appreciates your selecting our podcast service as a part of your spiritual journey. The TCSL podcast has over 1,000 downloads a month worldwide by individuals just like you seeking to expand their spiritual magnificence. To express your gratitude and donate for the good you hear and the growth you experience from our lesson, visit our website at trinitycenteratlanta.org forward slash donate. As you donate, affirm, my offering affirms my commitment and my willingness to be an inlet and an outlet for the abundant good and energy of divine spirit. This morning, I've asked to sing a song that I think I sang last time I was here. Uh, but I, but I, I, I know you're, you're celebrating your 20th anniversary this next week as a church. And my brother Tony, I know, founded this church 20 years ago. And I'd just like to have you, just for a moment, consider what that took, your dedication to, to going. I did the same thing. I founded a church 20, uh, for uh, well, 40, 35 eight years ago, but I you know, ran it for 23 years. So I understand the dynamics of what, what running a church, being a pastor, a spiritual leader, and a, a, a mentor, and all the things that go along with that. And I want you to just take a minute and to shower this man with your, with your love and blessings for having the fortitude, the wisdom, and the vision to do what he did 20 years ago that is showing up here today called you sitting in this beautiful environment having the experiences that you're having. This man had the vision. He stood in it and brought it forward. So shower him right now with your love. The reason I took time to, to mention that is because I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, to have the vision to start a church. And, then to, and, and you guys are all a demonstration of that. You owe yourself a, a pat on the back for having the consciousness to have been drawn to him into this spiritual community where you're each getting a chance to make a difference. So the song that I want to sing this morning is a song that was written by John Denver. It's a song that he dedicated and is inspired to write it for Buckminster Fuller. And Bucky Fuller was a visionary, a planetarian, humanitarian. He had a huge vision for the planet. He referred to the planet Earth as spaceship Earth, and that we're all uh, passengers on this beautiful spaceship Earth. But when we wake up and we become conscious of who we are and the role that we each play on this planet, we move from being crew members or from passengers to crew members, and we realize that we have a role to play in, in bringing to this planet the things that we each are gifted to bring. And uh, for this morning, the What One Man Can Do is the title of the song. I'm dedicating it to my brother, Tony. What one man can do. But let me say this also. It's not just what one man can do. It's what one woman can do. It's what one spiritual community can do the ripple effect of what you do here. I mean, you're part of the ripple effect of Tony's consciousness and what he did 20 years ago because you're here. O'Brien, there we go. So how are you breathing this morning besides in and out? <laughs> now, you know, I ask that question every time I, I, I start a talk because I want people to really be, and, and, and this is part of what our workshop this afternoon is going to be about, is really grounding yourself in the present moment. You realize that the first thing you did when you came to the planet was to breathe in. And the very last thing you'll do when you leave this planet will be to 
screw that. <laughs> right? <laughs> but but, but the, the reality is, the, the breaths, countless breaths, we take from those two points. We go unconscious and we forget about the gift that each breath is. Because each breath is what grounds us in the present moment where the gift of life is waiting for us to receive it, to embrace it, and bring the gift of who we are to it. So, be conscious of your breathing. We're going to focus on that this afternoon in our workshop quite a bit, about the power of breath. Yeah. So the title of my talk this morning is, what the hell is the title of my talk? Um, <laughs> oh, The Art of Uncertainty. How to live, it's based on one of my books, How to Live in the Mystery of Life and Love It. This book is, has been an award-winning book for years. It came out in 19, or 2014. And it's uh, it was a bestseller. It had lots of lots of wonderful reception, not just in the science of mind community, but the world. Why? Because uncertainty seems to be something that has enveloped much of the collective consciousness of our planet. Would you agree with that? I mean, l let's face it: life is uncertain. It always has been, and it always will be. I mean, think about it. We came from the ethers of the great unknown. Nobody knows where we came from or what it looks like, how, what it's like, right? And we la our soul essence lands in these physical garments, these flesh and bone, and, and it occupies this garment for a number of years and travels through the circumference of the planet, gaining soul-expanding experiences. And at the proper time, the soul then ejects itself from this garment of flesh and bone, which is what? Nothing more than a carbon-based, biodegradable, disposable vessel. That, that we use, right? And then the soul essence goes back into the ethers from which it came. What's not mysterious about that, right? And like the breath, what's equally mysterious and equally uncertain is the time, from the time we get here till the time we leave. No one knows what the next minute is going to bring. And yet we slip into this kind of a comatose state of, of uh, assuming, uh, not, not living fully present in each moment, um, w with the with the ability to or the, the concern of what's going to happen in the next moment or the next day until something of that scares us pops up in front of us and all of a sudden we realize how uncertain life is. Can I get a witness for that? Yeah. I mean, there's no one not one area of our lives that is n where, where uncertainty doesn't live. Think about it. In our relationships, nobody knows. When you say goodbye to your spouse or your partner in the morning, if you're going to see them that night, uh, what's going on on the planet with politics right now is crazy. Nobody knows what's, what's going to happen. There's just an uncertainty that racks every uh, area of our lives, and we go unconscious of it until uh, an emergency causes us to rise and, and, and face it. And then the question is, how do we live with it? So uncertainty is... is a given, and and the 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 point I want to make to you this morning is you can live more consciously with uncertainty and turn it into a powerful experience rather than something to live fearfully. Can I get a witness for that? Okay. So the question is, how do we live with uncertainty? And and here, here this is where living in a a, a teaching called science of mind comes in really wonderfully. What if we could turn the practice of being uncertain and make it a spiritual experience? What if we could make it a mystical experience? 
rather than seeing uncertainty as something to fear, to live in the to live in the mystery of it. You know what is a mystery? Ernest Holmes. Anybody have any definitions for it? I, I can tell you what Ernest Holmes says. A mystic is, is a person, he or she, who lives so fully aware of the presence of God in the present moment that they access the awareness of that presence and live in it. And, and, and it's, the inf- if it's, it's the infinite intelligence that, for, that goes beyond the sensory, the veil of the five senses. We can't see it, we can't touch it, we can't smell it, we can't taste it but we know it's there. A mystic is somebody who lives consciously in the awareness of the presence of God with every breath and accesses that intelligence in a manner that it guides him or her to coming to what is next in their life with faith and, and, and trust. Yeah? We're all mystics. Two of you, okay. (laughs) Here's the good news and the other news. Some of us are optimistics. (laughs) And some of us are pessimistics, you know? Which would you rather have, let's say say this is the edge of uncertainty tomorrow. You don't know what's going on in front of you. You're standing on the ledge of uncertainty. Would you rather be standing holding the hand of an optimist or a pessimist? You think? What the, the pessimist is saying, oh, my God, don't look down. Whatever you do, you could lose everything. Don't just, just close your eyes. Don't look. Just stay right where you are, and everything's going to be fine. The optimist, on the other hand, is saying, no, 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 no. Come to the edge. Don't look down. Look up. Look up and lean over. Trusting and knowing there's something within you that knows how to get you to what is next if you do your part by listening with faith. Yeah? And, and so, you know, the, the problem is we learn to be pessimists as children. We're taught from the day we're born to be pessimists. And this is not finding fault with our parents or we as parents because we do the same thing to our kids, you know. We teach children from the day they're born to to not venture be have you ever seen a, a, a toddler? A toddler does what? They're, they're all over the place, right? They're, they want to explore every place they can get, and you have to continually bring them back and reel them in. And, and, and you know, my, my, my daughter has a, a, a one-year-old son, and he's, he's living in this prison called the playpen. <laughs> you know? and, and I understand why. You know, it's, it's for his safety. I understand that. Okay? And yet... At the same time, by the living in, in the boundaries that, that we as parents set for our children, we're teaching them that life is not a safe place. And, and pretty soon, you know, we say, you know, live within the confines of what I tell you is right and what is safe, and, and you stay right in here, everything's going to be fine. And what happens is, is, is after a number of years, we end up living, going back and forth in the, the rut of the known. And the, deep, the more we go in the rut of the known, what happens? It gets deeper <laughs> and deeper and deeper. Pretty soon, the rut is here, and we're doing this, right? And you know what a rut is, right? A grave with no ends on it. Yeah. And we slowly begin, the life force slowly diminishes within us, and we lose our passion for living. 
Then, then life comes about sucking air and just getting through another day. Rather than living with passion and joy, taking us to what's next. We were imbued with this infant intelligence. Holmes calls it the creative divine urge. I think I spoke about it last time I was here. It imbues every fiber of our being. And if it could speak, it, was, it would say, I've got to be more tomorrow than I was yesterday. And when we resist that, that divine push to grow, to push, to, to expand, to learn, to evolve, part of us begins to wither up and die. The universal imperative Holmes talks about, to grow or die. If we're not growing, we're dying. Take a deep breath. Be here now. <laughs> so, one of the best ways, you know, when you're stuck in the rut, we move out of the rut of complacency one of two ways. You know what it is, right? Either through desperation or inspiration, right? Sometimes we stay stuck where we are until it hurts too much to stay where we are and out of pain or fear. Then we, we're, we're launched forward into what's next, but we do it fearfully or resentfully. Or we get out of the rut because we're inspired to, we're lifted by some, some calling within that is telling us it's okay to rise and step forward, move forward with your life. And you know, we never see this it, it so, so clearly demonstrated as with nature. Nature does a marvelous job of showing us the go or die uh, scenario, inspiration or desperation. And this is a true story I want to tell you. Back in California, when I lived um, in California, uh, we lived up in the hills. We opened up to the, the open space behind us with deer and rabbits and birds and all kinds of things. And uh, every spring, the same family of birds would come up under our bay window in the kitchen under the patio cover looking out the open space. A family of sparrows would come and build a nest right outside the bay window where I could see them. And this happened for years, year after year after year. And of course, they would make a mess, and that was okay because it was joyful to watch them go through the process. And the last year that we lived in that house, this is true, I was fortunate enough to see the, the, the chicks in the nest. They, were, they hatched, and the day came when they were ready to leave the nest. And here's the, here's the divine imperative, grow or die. They had to leave the nest. Why? Because mom stopped bringing the worms, right? And if they didn't venture outside the nest, what would happen? They would die. So some, uh, uh, the, I, I was watching this in the morning. The first bird gets out of the nest, and the, the nest is perched upon this, this ledge on the patio cover. It's about 10 feet top of the ground. And the bird gets out of the nest, and he walks up to the edge of the, the patio cover, and he's looking down, and he's, he's flapping these, these appendages. He has no idea what they are, right? He's never used them before, and he's flapping his wings. He's looking down like this, and he looks down. He looks up like this, and he looks down again, and he flaps his wings. He looks up, and I don't speak birdies, but if I did, I would tell you what he would be. I, my thought is he would be thinking, holy bananas, that's a long way down. I could die. And yet he continued to flap his wings. And he flapped his wings so violently and leaned forward that I believe he intentionally caused himself to fall into the call of gravity because he had no choice. And he fell into the call of gravity, and what happened? Audience participation time. 
He flew. He flew around one, one time around the patio, went out into the avocado orchard and landed on a branch of an avocado tree, and he was just chirping away out there. The second sibling comes out of the nest, does the same thing, comes up the edge, does this, falls over in the call of gravity, flies around, lands out. Now there's two birds out on the, on the, on the avocado branch in the orchard. Third one does the exact same thing. Now there's three birds sitting out on the avocado tree on the, on the branch. They're chirping away and just just waiting. I think they're calling for their last sibling to come and join them. This is, uh, this is, is so interesting, very true. The last bird gets out of the, of the nest, comes up, does this. He looks down, does this. He worms back, jumps back in the nest where he stayed for, you know, five or ten minutes. And meanwhile, his three siblings were out in the grove cheering him on. Cause, come on, come on, you can do it. You could, cheer, you could hear the cheering. And, and sh soon enough, he just leapt out of the nest, didn't even look down, just ran to the edge and left. And he, yeah. Some of us, it takes longer to build the faith, and, and, and also we need the encouragement of others to step forward, yeah? So there they sat, all four of them, out on the, out on the uh, avocado tree on the, on the branch, chirping away. I suspect they're doing little birdie high fives. We did it. We just did the first thing as birds. You know, we, we, we came to the edge, and we leaned over, and here we are. And with that, they then collectively, as a group, flew in formation, one big, huge lap around the entire orchard, and they were off into the ethers to explore their bird nest. Can you imagine going from being stuck in the nest to the freedom that they experienced with just that willingness to come to the edge? Now, I have to tell you, the whole time I did not see a mother bird or the father bird anywhere. The bird, I didn't, the mother bird was not standing there on the ledge next to, to the babies. Okay, honey, flap your wings, lean over, trust, say your positive affirmations, and everything's going to be fine. No. <laughs> the birds knew instinctively, there's the word, instinctively, that there was something within them that knew how to fly. Nobody had to teach the birds to fly. The bird had an, had an intelligence within it that knew what to do to get it to what was next in its own evolution. Now, here's what I propose to you. If the divine beloved one would imbue birds with that wisdom and that ability to access that mystical, optimist, instinctual presence within to do what it needed to do, would it not also imbue you and I, you and me, in the same capacity? Shake your head like this. Take a breath. There's a wonderful uh, in the in, in the in the uh, Zen. There's a Zen saying that goes, "Move, and the way will open. Move, and the way will open." It does not say sit there on your butt and contemplate it. And if it's convenient when the way opens, move through it. Move. Holmes said another way with treatment. What did he say? Treat, 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 and move your feet. We have a role to play. Can I get a witness for that? Is it scary sometimes? 
Yep. Grow or die. First we start dying emotionally, and then physically, and our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we wither up. And we get old way before our time. I just had my 70th birthday four days ago. Yeah, I'm proud of that. I, I feel like I still could fly. You know? So, so th I, I've d designed three questions that you can ask yourself. And these are questions that you can find in the book, The Art of Uncertainty, if any of you have read it. If not, I hope you, you do. Um, the first question that, that will help you learn to, d to discern how you can more fully and easily come to the edge of your own uncertainties and lean over and fly to take off into what's next with your life, the calling of what is calling you to do what you came here to do is this question you have to ask yourself. There's three questions. The first question is, what role does fear play in keeping me stuck on the edge from growing, from moving on to what is next? Now, keep in mind, fear, we don't want to demonize fear. Fear is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> Two-thirds of us would have never made it into adulthood, right, without a little fear being instilled in, in us at the same time. But here's the problem. Someplace along the line between childhood and adulthood, the boundary line between what to fear and what not to fear got blurred. Yeah? And we drag a lot of stuff, fears from childhood, into adulthood where they don't belong. child, it is said, is only born with two, two instinctual fears. You know what they are? Fear of falling and loud noises. Now, we have, all have essential inst instinctual uh, uh, reactions to survival, of course. But beyond that, every fear we have, now, now I want you to take a conscious breath. Every fear we have beyond those three is acquired. It is learned. And this is what I would propose to you. If you were smart enough to learn it, you're smart enough to unlearn it. <laughs> True that. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the children also learn the fear of the darkness. Okay, they came from darkness. And, and yet we, we're taught to fear darkness. Have you ever noticed as adults when we're faced with something that we can't see that is causing us some, some issues of uncertainty that we, we send our mind out like an advanced reconnaissance, reconnaissance patrol out into that darkness and we have it report back to us. And of course, what it's called worry anxiety Okay, and, and, and it reports back to us and says, don't do it. Don't do it. You can lose everything. <laughs> I, I, there, there's a great acronym for fear. F-E-A-R. I know you all know it, right? False evidence appearing real. There's a better one. Forget everything and run. <laughs> because that's what we do sometimes when something pops up in front of us and it scares us, it's fearful. We spin on our heels and literally, if not metaphorically, run. We run to the refrigerator, we run for the medicine cabinet or the liquor cabinet, 
uh, maybe uh, the, the shopping mall. There are many boats departing down the river of denial on a regular basis, right? And here's the problem. Anytime we get on the boat of the river of denial, it has to come back to the dock. Irrespective of how we avoid it, at some point we have to come back. And when we do, there's that fear, like a little puppy dog waiting right on the dock going, can we restart up, can we begin where we left off? So the first, the, there's three touchstones about fear that I want you to leave here today knowing. The first is you can run, but you can't hide. Why? Your fear is not out there. You cannot run from something that lives within you, right? You can run, but you cannot hide. And, and the, big, the moment that we begin to realize that we are consciously reacting to fear, we step in one step in the right direction to taking charge of it. There will always be things that are smartly uh, appropriate to fear in our lives, but we can do it consciously or unconsciously. Which would you rather be doing it with? Consciously, because you make smarter choices, don't you? Of course. Of course you do. So the first question, the first point is, you can run, but you can't hide if it's living within you. Things outside of us can trigger that fear to arise within us. The second touchstone is that all fear, boy, this, this, boy, this settled hard with me when I got this. All fear is attached to a concern of death. All fear, another way to say that all fear is attached to a concern of loss of some sort. It, it, it could be a death of a, 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 your life or the life of a loved one. Yeah, that's the obvious fear. What about this? What about the death of a career? Or the death of a relationship? Or the death of a bank account? or the death of, of a reputation. All of those are fear in some wonderful disguises. And yet they're all uh, living in, in a, a belief in loss of something. Now, if you're one with source, and we're going to talk about this this afternoon in the workshop, if you truly believe you're one with source, and that was in my book, The Art of Abundance, what's to lose? You're one with the source that put you here and clothed you and put what you have in front of you in your life. Take a breath. I need to take a breath. So, the third touchstone on fear is realize that fear is not your enemy. A lot of us perceive fear as an enemy, and that's why we try to avoid it. What if you could see fear as your teacher? In the East, they say we must learn to dance with our demons. We dance with our demons, which means we pu pull it in close, wherever that fear is. And we, we pull it in close like, like we're on a dance floor. And I actually do a, a guided visualization of this in, in The Art of Uncertainty. And you ask that fear to dance. And you lean over into its ear, and you're dancing, and you say to this fear, Oh, master teacher of the moment, tell me what I need to know about you so that I can transcend you. That doesn't mean it necessarily goes away, but you understand it to a point where you're responding to it rather than reacting to it. 
put you in the place of seat of authority. Yeah? How are you breathing? <sighs> the second question that you can ask yourself on a daily basis to see how well you're, how, how, what needs to happen in your life in order to come to the edge of uncertainty and lean over into what's next. Here's the question you have to ask. What, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to let go of in order to move forward in my life? And I guarantee you, everybody walked into this room with something <laughs> that you need to let go of. And, 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 and it's, you know the best way to get in touch is a lot of times people say, well, I don't have anything to let go of. Well, it's fine. Here's a, here's a telltale way to track and discern what it is you need to let go of. Listen to the stories that you tell on a regular basis. You know what I mean by stories? I'm talking about things you talk about over and over and over. And if not to other people, to yourself. You repeat this story over and over and over. And sometimes it's a, a, how bad the economy is or how much I, you don't like a certain politician or what he did or she did. It's oftentimes attached to the past that we drag into the future by bringing it in the now and energizing it and forecasting it into the future. What do I need to let go of? And you know, the problem is that when we don't let go of the things that need to be let go of, and we continue to tell the story about them, we're reaffirming that story as it has a rightful place in our life, and then what happens? It digs a deeper and deeper and deeper groove into consciousness, and pretty soon, people will see you walking down the street, and they don't have to ask how you're doing, because they know. They've heard your story enough times. So, oh, by the way, it's not always something bad that needs to be let go of. It could be something really wonderful. If it keeps you stuck in the past, it needs to be released. I got a great story, and this is a true story. It's in, it's in uh, The Art of Uncertainty. In my very first year of, of my church, uh, a gentleman came in for counseling from Stan. He was, Stan Janeway, he was 90 years old. Sweet guy, wore this, this little cap, and he had periwinkle blue eyes, and he was spry and, and full of life. And he came into my office, and he said, Dennis, I need to talk to you. I'm so sad. 90 years old, right? I said, what's going on, Stan? Talk to me. He said, well, my beautiful, beloved wife passed away five years ago. I've been widowed for five years. And I've decided it's time for me to get back in the game. <laughs> I've got more good miles left in me. Now, there, there's an optimist at 90 years old, right? And he said, but the problem is I, I have no problems dating women, finding women today. And he, he was a very cool, good-looking, older gentleman. He said, but they won't see me again. He said, would you come to my house and have dinner with me? I'm a good cook have dinner with me and, and let me talk to me about this and help me get through this. So I went to his house one night and we're eating dinner and he immediately begins to talk about his beautiful deceased wife. Five years gone. 
I look around the room, the, the, the house, there's pictures of her adorned on every window, every, every wall, pictures of his beautiful wife. Her clothes still hung in the closet. She still wore a wedding band. I got her immediately. I said, Stan. I, I try to do it as compassionately as I could. These are all wonderful things, but you have to understand, you're sending the universe a signal that you have no room in your life for a new relationship. And the women that you're seeing, you don't have to tell them, they can feel it. They can see it. And so they're not going to be available because you're not open. You're not ready. So he said, will you, will you do some prayer work with me so I can get past this? He understood it. So we did a, 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 a prayer. And I, I, boy, I was a good practitioner back then. About two months later, I see Stan walking through the grocery store arm in arm with his new fiance, younger woman, 85 years old. <laughs> he understood had to be let go of. And it wasn't always something bad. Right? You have to be clear enough in consciousness to be able to identify what's holding you back, even if it's something that a lot of us are still stuck in the 60s. My God. And you, and you can't move into the new millennium when you're stuck in the 60s about the good old days. And if you really think about it, they really weren't that good. It's just that we pretend that they were. We, I don't want to even go there. So, Maybe it's not about, you know, uh, asking, who am I? But maybe the question we have to ask ourselves, who would I be without this fill-in-the-blank? Who would I be without this reputation? Who would I be without this job? Who would I be without this person in my life? And uh, again, we're gonna, this afternoon, we're going we're gonna to dig, we're going to drill down deep into understanding how to bring presence into our lives where it has an animated force of its own that guides us, lifts us, moves us, heals us. So in the, in the Tao Te Ching, there's a wonderful saying, when I let go of what I am, I become what I can be. When I let go of what I have, I receive what I need. nice deep breath. First question, what role does fear play? Second question, what do I need to let go of? Third question is this. Do I take time, and this is where I think we really drop kick it through the goal quotes of life. Do I take time daily to contemplate the profound, amazing gift that has been given to me? And am I honoring the giver of the gift by how I am unfolding my life? Of course, the gift is what? Life itself, yes. Life itself. Life, the gift. The most pristine pearl of unfathomable depth. I bet you there's not one person in this room who would, would take a million dollars in exchange for your life today. Pretty valuable, isn't it? 
and yet we take it for granted. Just like we take our next breath for granted. And when we do that, we dishonor the giver of the gift that put us here, not to just sit in a chair and suck air and jam stuff down our pie hole until the day we leave, but to animate, be the place where animation of life manifests as expression. In, in the East, I believe it comes from the Veda, Vedic teachings, it, 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 it teaches the, the miracle, it's the three miracles, the blessings of the three miracles. And if you don't get anything else, get this today. The first miracle is this. It's a miracle that anything exists. Anything exists. Think about that. Next time you're outside at night, just take a, a moment, sit and look up at the stars and, and, and just be in awe of the fact that this is, the universe is here. And it's expanding at the speed of light. What, 268,000 miles a second or something like that? That's pretty amazing. Making more of itself from itself to push out into. <laughs> how profoundly amazing is that? And how, when's the last time you thought about that? Probably not in a while. I bet you will today. The second miracle is that living things exist. Things that have life force in them, animating them. Trees, birds, puppy dogs, flowers. Living things exist. But there's an intelligence in viewing those living things that knows how to cause those things to thrive and to grow. And the third thing, the third miracle, of course, is pretty much the obvious one, I think. Living things exist that know they exist. Self-awareness. I am that I am. When we can begin to become self-aware and realize, we are self-aware, but to realize that we are self-aware, and that's what I'm going to talk about this afternoon. We're going to go into some practices on this. You're the, do you realize how profoundly amazing it is that you can be the observer of your own thoughts and emotions and feelings and look at them, discern them? And then once you discern them and you see that you are not them, but you're the observer behind them, it gives you the, a, a profound sense of empowerment to be able to challenge what's not working in your life. That's the power of practicing presence. Those are the three miracles. And here's what happens. I, I'm a, a, a great believer in self-inquiry. Because self-inquiry is the first step to taking accountability for this stuff. Right? And when we step into self-inquiry, we realize, and, and we enter into the, the, just the living in those three miracles, especially the last ones, that I am aware that I'm aware and I can watch my own thoughts and observe my own feelings. Whew. We realize at that point, every time we look in the mirror, we're looking directly into the eyes of God. Whew. And we realize that purpose lies in that moment to be the living presence, the place where the one finds fullness of expression 
in us and through us that moment, that day, that hour. And, and, and that's the point when, when our, we, our, our doing this, this is, here's doing on the surface of the planet, do, 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 merges with our beingness. Do, past, present, future, be. When we, when we allow ourselves to merge our doing with our being, our being one with presence, we realize, here it is, that uncertainty disappears. Why? Because uncertainty is a human-made thing. Look at nature. You don't see uncertainty. And here's the cool thing. While uncertainty will dissolve because we have merged into our being with our doing into a universe that is expanding at the speed of light and even it not knows where it's going, but it's going. And if we feel that we're one with it, we can live and have the faith that we're going someplace very cool with it as it expands. Faith, trust, like the bird. And, and at that point, at that moment, we realize that our life, our purpose, is being fulfilled. Our mission on the planet is to be the place where infinite intelligence finds fuller expression of itself in us, through us, and as us. And, and here's a great way, you know, familiar with Richard Bach's book, Illusions. He says, here's a test to know if your mission on the planet is finished. If you're alive, it's not. Take your pulse. Are we all alive in here? Look at the person next to you. See if you feel the breath under their nostrils, okay? That means that there's more for you to do. And it also means that you are the microcosms of the macrocosm called this spiritual community. This spiritual community, I talked to Tony. This spiritual community's got great things to do in the next five years. He's got a vision that's unfolding. You're part of that. And so your opportunity is to come to the edge of what your spiritual community has been until now and lean over and trust and know there's something more for you to do and that you were playing a role in that. Can I get a witness to that? You're very blessed in this community. I, tr I truly, truly hope you know that because I'm not saying that just because Tony is my buddy. I'm saying that because I've, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in a lot of communities and what you're doing here is so on principle in so many ways, so many ways, that you can't help but grow and expand. And frankly, you have a responsibility to do that. You have a responsibility to the larger community to take who you are and what you are to the community. But you also have a responsibility to yourself. Because you're not here to just sit and, and take it all in. You're also here to sit, take it in, and extend it to others. Yeah? So I close with this great uh, excerpt from a poem by Guillaume Apollinaire, that French mystic poet, 
social pundit. He wrote, Come to the Edge. Come to the Edge, he said. They said, No, we're afraid. Come to the Edge, he said. And they came. He pushed them. edge. They're on the cusp of some amazing things as a human being, a spiritual being, and a spiritual community. Enjoy the journey. There's something within you that's ready to take you to a larger place. Know I love you. Peace. Thank you again for selecting the Trinity Center for Spiritual Living podcast for your spiritual journey and for the expression of your generosity at trinitycenteratlanta.org forward slash donate.